0: get sort of tied into what people think and go with the flow, join the crowd, do what everybody else does, because it's easier. It's hard being a Christian, don't get me wrong, I mean, totally, it's hard work. But then God never said it was going to be easy. Nowhere in the Bible He said, follow me and you'll be all right. He said, take up thy cross. Often I think we read these things and we think, yeah, okay, I'll take up my cross. But do we? Do we, though? It's really hard. It is being a Christian effort, because it probably should be. We should be putting the effort in. Or are we just trundling along with a label because everybody else does? It's very easy as as saved-by-grace Christians for us to take salvation for granted. We can be flippant, perhaps, about who we come to. How we interact with the Lord Jesus Christ. Sometimes, life takes over. You know, it's busy, busy, busy all the time. I, I know that as much as anyone. You wake up on a Monday and it's, boosh, bang on it, and then full on until the following Sunday, usually. And life is really busy. And it takes over, and we forget actually what we're doing. We forget where we're going. forget how we got to where we are. We forget where we're supposed to be moving towards. We forget, perhaps, maybe... Just how much of a sacrifice was actually made for us, for me, for you, for everybody. Just how much God looks on us every single day with the love and the compassion that he has. That love and compassion that can, can just cannot be described. There's, there's no way you can understand the depth and the breadth and the, and the width of it all. So in the world today, of course, all that, if you look, if you look at the, the community outside and, and the world beyond, Largely irrelevant. Does it make any difference? Does it matter? You know, God created the world. Okay. Okay. God created the world. What does that mean to me? You know, that, that's, that's the view of the world. I don't want to change anything I'm doing. I don't want to be anybody different. I'm not interested in people telling me what to do. Perhaps. The only time they ponder these things, the only time they even contemplate who Christ is, what he's done, at this very specific point of the year, Easter, Christmas, very popular times. And the world suffers for this ignorance and, and the consequence of cutting God out of all that they do. Of course, I mean, you see it on the news, or you, see it, you see it in society, you don't have to watch the news. You can see the consequence of just people not looking on the Lord, people not even knowing the Lord in most of the times. You know, the journeys that they go on through life, it goes unchecked. It goes, you know, the Lord's not wanted. It's is an interference. Christmas and Easter don't mean anything. The reason for the season doesn't have any place in the world. Other than perhaps. You know, we all get a bit of time off. Everybody loves Christmas. It's a bit of a, a party time, you know. A time where people go out, celebrate end of the year as much as anything, perhaps. I know, in work myself, we, we just, just last week booked our Christmas lunch. I know, it's crackers. That's, that's, the, that's the way the world is, because we want to go to the party place. We want to go everywhere's booked up, because it's a time of party, it's a time of celebration, it's a time where... People can go out together and enjoy each other and socialise and so forth and so on and you get where that leads to. You know what ends up there. It's nothing about the Lord. They're not celebrating anything to do with God. They're not celebrating Christmas in that respect. They're just celebrating a week off. I get five days off and however many days leave, it's just brilliant. You know, Time to myself. Time to do what I want to do. Not I'm to slog at work all day long. That's all it is. Do the normal, everyday things of life. It's, of course, there's followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, we understand that the events that led up to these things, the events that led up to these points in history, and again, let me remind you, it's a point in history these things happened. It's documented fact. It's, it's not, you know, the Bible isn't just a, a book of words and, and stories and, and, and things that happened. It's, it's letters and it's journals and it's log entries and it's diaries and it's, it's documented fact. So the events that led up to this point, they should be hugely significant for us all of the time. It should be more than just making a point in the year where we stop and we reflect and we, we think the same thoughts and perhaps have the same ideas every time of year. All right, Christmas cantata, right, here we go. This is going to be great. Let's think, praise the Lord. You know, you, you know Christ was born in Bethlehem. Fantastic. But what does that actually mean? Why was Christ born in Bethlehem? What was the point of Christ being born in Bethlehem? Do we restrict our thinking about that to that specific time of year? Is it relevant at any other point during the year? Who is it that Christ is? Who is it that Christ was? Who is it perhaps that Christ is today? Christ is the same as God. He never changed. The things he did back then are as relevant today the, as ever, more so perhaps, as, as the world seems to be getting worse and worse. You know, there's nothing, nothing new in this. Nothing's taken God by surprise. Yes, the world is going in a wacky direction. You know, God is less and less and less relevant. Jesus is less and less and less important in people's lives. But look at the consequence of that. Look at where people are ending up. You know, you get, you know, you can get stats all day long about the, the levels of You know, homelessness and drug abuse and so forth and so on, spiraling and all. Well, yeah, because God's out of society. Nobody's got anybody to look to. And it's a sad fact today. A lot of the population do not know what events took place. They don't even understand the significance it has on them as they live out their lives. They just don't get it. Celebration is all about that. Celebration is consumerism is. What can I get out of it? What, does, what is it about Christmas that I can get out of it? I'm going to go to the, to the work Christmas lunch because I want to. It's all me, me, me. It's got nothing to do with Christ. It's got nothing to do with anything related to the Lord. Bank holidays. You know, we can take a break. I can do whatever I want to do. I can relax. I can enjoy myself. I can do... It's all about me. Whilst all that, in some respects, don't get me wrong, it's nice to have time off work, it's nice to kick back and relax a little bit and reflect and so forth, and totally, that's perfectly acceptable in, in any way, shape, and form. Absolutely. People forget, though, that with Christ starting out on the journey he set out on, without his acts of sacrifice and love and compassion and everything that he displayed, there would, there would be no Easter. There would be no Christmas. There would be no holiday time of year. There would be no redemption. There would be no way to reach God and have the life that he intended us to lead. There would be no solution to the world's problems. We look out on the world today, and we say, yeah, it's a terrible, terrible place. This is happening, that is happening, that is happening. But But if people accepted the Lord, it would be better. Well, if Christ hadn't started out on the journeys he did, if Christ hadn't gone ahead and done the things he did, that wouldn't be an option. We would have nothing to turn to and no one to lean on. Yet it feels we only really reflect on that type of stuff twice a year, in any great depth. You only really look at Christ's sacrifice, redemption, victory of the grave, all that at Easter time, which is fine. This is completely acceptable, don't get me wrong. But what about the rest of the year? We only really focus fully, totally and completely on Christ's birth, and what that meant to the world at Christmas time, which is fine and totally acceptable, but what about the rest of the year? What I wonder today? You talk about all the, the events of history, but what about today? What can we draw, I wonder, from the events that led up to Christ's final act of compassion? If you have your Bibles with you, turn to Matthew 21. Again, potentially. Popular verses, um, famous stories, quite sort of familiar things. But again, why not reflect on that now? Why wait until Easter to reflect on these things? Why not think about exactly what he did and what that means to the world today? Matthew 21, I'm going to go 1 to 9. So the first nine verses of Matthew 21. And when they drew nigh. And to Jerusalem, and were come to Bethpage, unto the Mount of Olives, then sent Jesus two disciples, saying unto them, Go into the village over against you, and straightway ye shall find an ass tied, and a colt with her. Loose them, and bring them unto me. And if any man say aught unto you, he shall say, The Lord hath need of them, and straightway he will send them. All this was done, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell ye the daughters I am, Behold, thy king cometh unto thee, meek and sitting upon an ass, and a colt the foal of an ass. And the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them and bought the ass and the colt and put on them their clothes and they set him thereon. And a very great multitude spread their garments in the way. Others cut down branches from the trees and strew them in the way. And the multitudes that went before and that followed cried saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Let's just commit the rest of this, this message to the Lord. Let's pray together. Thank you, Lord, again, for who you are, not just today, but for always. Help us to realise, Lord, you are busy, busy in our lives. You are active in our lives. Sometimes it's difficult, Lord, when life overtakes us, to remember you're still there, and you're still working, and you're still tapping us. Help us just to turn to you more, I guess, when, it, when we are struggling, when we can't see the wood for the trees, when we think all is lost, when we think perhaps we can't get beyond the next ten minutes. Help us to remember that you're still there. You're still with us. And as we reflect, Lord, on some of the things that happened all those years ago, I pray, God, that we would see comparisons, and we can draw comparisons to what's happening today. And I pray we would understand, Lord, that Christ is as relevant today in people's lives as he was back then. I just pray whatever is said and done is of you and through you, and that you would be with us and stand with us for the rest of this time together this morning. Amen. I wonder, what's the first thing that springs to mind when we, when we sort of speak of Christ entering Jerusalem? could be all sorts of things. All sorts of things. You know, Saviour, perhaps. Um, Saviour of people, maybe. Uh, might just be man riding on a donkey, if, you, if you're in the world, because that sounds ridiculous, but absolutely. The world's looking in and doesn't understand who Christ is. That's exactly who he is. He's a guy riding a donkey into a city. What about Christ's sovereignty? what's sovereign about Christ riding an ass, as it were? Well, let's start right at the very beginning. When Christ started out on his journey to Jerusalem, I wonder what would you consider to be the very first remarkable act that Christ did? It's a rhetorical question, you don't need to answer But I wonder what would come to mind. What's the very first remarkable act that Christ did when he set out on his journey to Jerusalem? Or maybe it was just simply Christ. Getting up and going, putting one foot in front of the other. Starting on that fateful trip. Because it was a fateful trip. Look where it ended. Let's not forget he knew exactly what he was going to do. He knew exactly what he was walking into. He knew exactly the pain he was going to suffer. The shame he was going to feel. The abuse that was going to be bestowed on him. He knew exactly what was coming. The mocking from the very people he had come to save. The hurt, the turmoil. All the things that would be thrown upon him. I wonder, sometimes we say something to somebody, and, and, or somebody says something to us, and it really stings. You think, oh, that hurts. Where on earth did that come from? What was that all about? And you carry it with you. and it, It's almost physically painful. You know, take a number and times it by anything you want, because that's a little bit of how Christ must have felt. You know, I've, I've come to give my life for these people. Look what they're doing to me. Any of them, any of the, I, I take it, you know, Christ is almighty and, and not human in that respect, but, you know, I would have been like, hello, stop, I'm not doing that. If that's how you feel, you, you know, wash, I'm sorry, wash my hands of you. You, you do, what, do whatever you like. If that's how you feel, I'm not, I'm not bothered. He must have been really, really hurting that these people he loved with all his heart and all his soul, we're mocking him. We're abusing him. We're throwing things at him. But he didn't stop. He didn't turn. He didn't wander off the path that was set before him. There was no wavering. No faltering. This was God's plan. And he was going to fulfill it. This was God's redemption of the world. We often talk about redemption of the world. Sounds grand. Sounds, but That's exactly what it was. This was the answer to sin's problem. This, This was the one thing that was going to allow us to come into the Lord's presence. We talk about boldly coming before the throne of grace. Let's not take that flippantly. Let's, let's realise just what that actually means. You know, Christ went before so that we can come before the, bold, before the throne of grace. We can have that relationship with God. God can be active in our lives because of what Christ went through. You know, that single act... That would lead to God overcoming death in the grave. Christ was focused. And he was not going to waver from that path. And at this time. Jesus and his followers. They've been, they've been travelling a long way. You know. They'd they set out from Galilee. And they were making their way through Judea. And so forth and so on. Before finally arriving at Jerusalem. They would have been tired. They would have been dusty. They would have probably. On their journey. Passed loads of traders. And you know, these Arab caravans. And and markets, and all, all that type of stuff. But it's only when they get close to their final destination, all that time has passed, all that journey, all that opportunity, but only now that Jesus asked the disciples to go and find a donkey that he might ride into the city, a mode of transport. Now, that might seem odd. The first verse is here, 21, 1 to 3. And when they drew and I introduced them, i come to Bethpage and to the Mount of Olives. They sent then, then sent to Jesus sent Jesus two disciples, saying unto them, Go into the village over against you, and straight away you shall find an ass tied, and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them unto me. And if any man say aught unto you, ye shall say, The Lord hath of them, and straight away he shall send them. It was then that he did it. It must have seemed like an odd, odd request. Well, you know, disciples, we're, we're shattered. We've come a long way. We could have asked for a donkey, or camels, or whatever else, ages ago. And we could have ridden them all the way here. Why? Why? Disciples didn't say anything like that. It was an odd request, and it did seem strange. Why now? Why is he only asking now for a donkey? But how faithful were the disciples? They didn't query, they didn't quibble, they didn't ask. You know, They witnessed so many miracles, they've been part of so many different events up until this point, that they just simply accepted Jesus and his word. And they set out to find a donkey to carry Christ into Jerusalem. However trivial and perhaps strange and odd and weird the request must have appeared, it was just a simple act that Jesus performed to show that he was a new promised king entering a new city. I would have been annoyed. I think I'd walked all that way. I was covered in desert and I would have plenty of opportunity to buy donkeys, buy modes of transport, if you will, even just simply to carry my load, because they would probably been carrying a lot of stuff. And now, finally we get there, and now he wants to go and get some of the walk, it, to carry him into the city. I would have been annoyed. It's a bit ostentatious of him. It's a bit like, you know, what are you saying? But the disciples are so faithful. I wonder today, can, can we be that faithful? You know, if Christ says something odd, something that doesn't line up with what we think is right or true, something that might seem a bit weird, can we just take him at his word? Or do we quibble? Do we ask? Do we just say, why? And it doesn't make sense to me, so I'm not doing it. Can we be more like the disciples, I wonder? The very people, of course, that were going to celebrate Christ's entry, his triumphant entry, they, they knew the scriptures of the day. These, these were very learned, some of them were very learned people. And they would have known the law inside out. They would have known the scriptures that were written. Um, you know, they've been reflecting, perhaps, on, on the words that Zechariah would have written at the time and recognized exactly what Jesus was doing. Zechariah 9.9 says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion! Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem! Behold, thy king cometh unto thee! He is just, having salvation, lowly and riding upon an ass and upon a colt, the foal of an ass. So when they saw Jesus riding, Into the city, on a donkey, on an ass, what did they say, I wonder? Did they say, aha, I've read about that. Did they say, ah, so that's what he's doing? Don't take my word for it. Again, back in the words we read just just earlier, and the multitudes that went before and that followed cried, saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. By using this title, by using Hosanna, you know, the Lord, they were proclaiming Jesus to be the rightful king. They recognized that he had come in the name of the Lord, exactly as Zechariah had written. And during those times as well, ceremonially, palm branches were being used as a symbol of victory. So by waving their palms and laying them down and shouting Hosanna to the son of David, the people were crying out for salvation from the victorious king. But, of course, they weren't crying out for the salvation that God offers. They were crying out for a victory, a victory over their enemies, a victory that a king, a mighty army, was going to lead. They hardly understood what they were saying. Many of them were looking for political deliverance, an end to suffering or an end to dominance or whatever, whatever situation they were in a king that would lead them to victory over their enemies. But of course, that's not the victory Jesus offers. Christ doesn't come into the world and say, I'm going to conquer every problem you've got. I'm going to solve every issue you see along the way. I'm going to make this life sweet as a nut, and you're not going to have a single problem. He doesn't say that. He says, take up thy cross. Follow me. It's not going to be easy. It's not going to be great. It's not even going to be... Better roses. It's going to be hard at times, difficult. We're going to question. We're going to wonder what on earth is going on. But just follow me. Almost as if to say, it'll be okay. But can we trust him to do that? Can we trust on that? Can we? Is that enough for us? Is that sufficient for us to say, okay, lead the way? salvation he offers is a deliverance from sin, a deliverance from death, and from eternal separation of God. This very act of him entering a city, shouldn't it be something we we hold on to of every minute, of every day? These not just writings in a book, they're not just something to reflect on a Sunday, perhaps because it makes us feel good. We can go away for a Sunday afternoon with a a fluffy heart. Life is good. It's more than that. It's something we should dwell on every single moment. Let's not forget, this was history. Actual living events that took place just as God had planned. And why? Why would he do that? Why would he put Christ through all of that pain and suffering? A very, very simple message. Because he loved us. And let me just take that D off the end of that word. Because he loves us. See, God loves us as much today as he did yesterday, as he will tomorrow. And once we've accepted Christ as our saviour, once we understand who Christ is, what he did, and what that means for us, that love will always be with us. Wherever we go, whatever we do, whatever life throws our way, whatever we face, whatever situation we find ourselves in, God is with us. As long as we understand Christ. And what he's done. And there is a plan. Absolutely there's a plan. There's a plan for everyone. And the thing that always amazes me is a plan for me. Great. Okay. Because I've accepted Christ. I know who he is. There's a plan for you. Okay. We've accepted the Lord. But there's a plan for every single person in this world, irrespective of who they are, where they are, or what baggage they're bringing with them. They don't even have to know the Lord. They could be completely ignorant. There's a plan for the world outside. But of course, that can't be fulfilled. That can't be picked up and lived out because people don't understand. People don't get Christ. They don't want Christ. They don't need Christ. So they think, so that plan will never be fulfilled in their lives. If Jesus is the King, if Jesus has been, if we have, have accepted Christ as our Saviour, then we as His people should come to him in reverence how often does pastor talk about coming to christ you know you hear about i don't want to use the word trendy but the the trendy churches yeah saying oh yeah you know the lord said to me this and and christ said to me this and i was walking down the street and he tapped me on the shoulder you know christ is our savior he's our king he's our friend you know god is our father he's not a buddy he's not a chum No, he's not. We should come to the Lord in reverence. The Bible talks about reverence and fear. We should be fearful of a mighty God. Look how much he's capable of. Look what he can achieve. Look what he can do. But look how much he loves us. Look at how much he's done for us. Look at what he's about to do for us. There's so much more ahead of us. If only we would walk that path without quivering. If only we would look to Christ first and say, okay, I'll follow you on your word. The people of the day understood; they got it. They knew who he was, and they were calling him the Son of David and spreading their cloaks and whatnot before him, and acknowledging him as a king and a leader. And this was the ancient custom—you know, people generally threw down garments to welcome a, a king into a, or a royal priesthood or whatever term you want to use into into a city like that. You know, and by doing that, they were throwing down their wills and they were asking Jesus to give them everything they think, say, and do. But let's not forget you know, we can't ever achieve that perfect level of righteousness. I'm, I'm not, not sort of portraying that in any way, shape, or form. We can't be as Christ was, but we can walk in a sure certainty that Christ, having been that single perfect sacrifice, having made that way for us, through the power of God, can now offer us the same level of redemption. We can be redeemed from all our sins. We can be redeemed. We can be We can have those shackles taken off. The weight of the world can be lifted. I mean, I don't know what problems, issues you face. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know where you are. But what if you could just offload all that stuff onto somebody else, forever, for all eternity? Why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you just say, okay, Lord, you promised me this. You said this is who you are. I understand this. I accept this. I know where I've come from. Over to you wouldn't you do that we consider Christ's sovereignty but what about Christ's gentleness in those times when a king rode into a city it was usually with a show of power and authority and you know people might have been expecting Jesus to enter Jerusalem on on the mighty army behind him in a chariot or or, you know something of like a big horse or something bearing all these dazzling prizes and treasury and all that sort of stuff but here's the thing the rightful king, the true savior of the world, the victorious king, if you will, is also the gentle king. Because Christ comes to greet his people not with pomp and circumstance, but with humility, and with meekness. You know, the king's gentleness is symbolized purely by his mode of transport. He's riding a donkey. You know, at the very least, Jesus, if he was a king of, you know, riding into a city, he would have been on a high horse. You know, a beast, a stallion or something, something huge, something significant, something with impact. But he was riding a beast of burden. And not just that, it was a borrowed beast of burden. It was a borrowed donkey. Almost, if you like, the lowest of the low of all animals. In Zechariah we hear the term, rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. And this is a reminder of how God views his people, not as a king's royal subjects, or dominions, or you know, um, or any such like, but as sons, as daughters, as children of the living God, of a living God, a God that lives today, who loves us like a father loves a child. God doesn't dictate, he doesn't chastise, there's no forcefulness, God doesn't say you must do this and if you don't I'm going to strike you down because let's face it, if he did there wouldn't be anybody left in the world. That's not who God is. He's he's caring, he's loving, he's wholesome. He wants us to have the best possible life we can have. God's promise is that one day the gospel of peace is going to be preached to all the kingdoms of this world. The promise is fulfilled with with the the coming of Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace, the King of Kings. When Jesus comes right into Jerusalem, he didn't come in to be the King of the Jews as such. He came in to be the universal king, the king of everyone, a king that wants to help, save, nurture, grow, prosper, deliver us, keep us, love us dearly. He came to save every people from every tribe and every nation. As Christians today, you know, are our lives that of gentleness? Do we lead gentle lives? You know, this is singled out in the fruits of the spirit. If you want to go all the way back that far, gentleness is a fruit of the Spirit. I'm not going to sing it because I can't remember the words. Christ reigns in his own right as a King and Lord of all, but we are free to approach his throne of grace. I mean, how... It, it's unimaginable. How, how lucky are we? How grateful should we be? We can come to this living, almighty Saviour of the world every minute of every day. What an opportunity. What a blessing, what a gift. You know, Put whatever phrase you want on it. All made possible because Christ went through what he went through. All our cares, all our needs, all our wants, all our worries, all our concerns, all cared for, all wrapped up, all passed on to somebody else because he wants to, because he loves us, because he wants that plan to live out our lives. Philippians 4.5, Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Or, if you'll bear with me to paraphrase slightly, 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 he says, let your gentleness be evident to all. If we want to be Christians in the world today, if we want to shine our light, again, you think the word sort of testimony, witness, all these things strike fear into the heart. No, I can't speak to people. Like, you know, I, can't, I don't want to upset my friends, maybe, or whatever. It is. I can't. Bend. Sometimes you don't have to do anything. You just need to be. If we reflect gentleness in the world, if we reflect humility... If we reflect just one or two traits of the Lord Jesus Christ, it's enough. Your testimony will shine through just by doing that. You don't need to say anything. Just be who Christ asked you to be. Just walk the path that God asks you to walk. And the, f- the third thing, the final thing here, Christ's victory. Now, that may seem a bit odd, talking about victory when we haven't even got to Jerusalem yet, and we haven't seen what Christ is about to go through. I mean, we understand what he's about to face. He's just started riding into the city. Surely, the victory is in the resurrection over the grave. But where did he come from? Let's think a little bit about what brought Christ to that point. We don't really know a lot about Christ's early years. But, we know he led a godly life. We know he was found in the temple speaking incredible things at the age of 12. So surely that's a victory over the world, almost instantaneously. You know, any 12-year-old would go anywhere near a temple and start speaking on their own. Can you imagine this day and age? It just wouldn't happen. So that immediately, there's victory over, over the world order of the time. We know he grew up and he prospered under God's plan, as after his baptism in Matthew 3:17 states, and a voice from heaven saying, this is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. We must have had victory over world's temptations. Because he's living out God's plan. He's living out God's purpose. He's doing his will. We know Jesus was tempted by the devil himself. But through the power of God, he was able to resist. Jesus had victory over the devil. sounds grand. It sounds amazing. Oh, he had victory over the devil. Just remember, the devil is after us. The devil is after you and me. The minute you accept Christ, the devil's got his eye on you. Yes, the devil tempted Christ, but how often do we tempted? How often do they tempt us in the world today? All the time. Let's just be mindful. The devil's not asleep, just as much as God's not asleep. The devil is active and busy and he will come after us every minute of every day. We know that great crowds gathered wherever he went, eager to hear his teachings, then walking away, filled with the word of God in their hearts. Christ had victory over sinfulness, even at that time. He was conquering sin because he was telling them of the Gospels. He was telling them of the way that God had set this planet. We know Christ was humble. He never once stated that he was above the law. Never did he say, I'm righteous and I do this. You follow me and be like... He said he was there to fulfill the law. Not overcome it. To fulfill the law. Which loosely translated into original text could mean to complete or accomplish... He was there to claim victory over what the world had done to the law. Because again, if you, read, if you read some of the history and the context behind all this, the law of the, of the land, Israel's commandments, all that sort of stuff, it was a pretty dire strait. It's like the song we sang, the very first song we, hymn we sang this morning. It would go to a rugby match, and that's twisted. The words are different slightly, not hugely, but significantly. The world takes what it thinks is right and adjusts it to what it wants to be right. And that's exactly what they were doing with the law. And Christ said, I'm not here to change it, I'm here to fulfill it. I'm here to meet the needs of what the law originally stated, not what it is now. He taught the word of God to those that had lost the way, to those that had grown cold towards laws, to those that were suffering, teaching them to pray the right way. He was victorious over the oppressors and the rulers of the day. He encouraged people to live out their faith. He performed miraculous acts to demonstrate his power. He understood that God's plan would ultimately destroy his human form, but he did it anyway. He empowered people to carry on teaching the gospel, proclaiming his name. He witnessed deaths of close friends and family, the same as us. He went through the same emotions, the same trials, the same tribulations. He caused anger amongst the teachers of the world and the people he spoke to. What happens today when you try to speak to Christ in the world? We cause anger, we cause frustration. Nothing new. He showed meekness, he showed grace to all who approached him. Never did he say, I am a royal king, don't even come close to me. Never did he say, Don't touch me, because I'm above you. Indeed, he encouraged people to come near, to draw near. He didn't plead for his own innocence. But he let all the false accusations that came his way just land and and the arrest play out and, and the party followed God's path. He watched as those that welcomed him with such a and acclamation later on in the story Mock and spit and humiliate him and so forth and so. How fickle, how fickle people can be. We hear in this passage that we read this morning about how they were hands in the air of time. Praise the Lord, the king's arrived. Victory, salvation, hallelujah, hosanna to the king. And then what, days later, kill him. Destroy him. They were beating him. They were pulling his bits of his beard out. They were humiliating him. How fickle people can be. Very, very, very easy to walk a path on a Monday and to hit an obstacle, trip up and be on a completely separate path on the Tuesday. He watched sorry, he was entering Jerusalem at these times before finally achieving his final victory over death and the grave. Is that where it all ends? Is that it? Christ went in Christ died, Christ rose again done. That's just the start of the story. That's For any non-Christian, any person in the world today who doesn't understand this, that's the very beginning of your story. Accepting what Christ did, understanding what Christ went through, applying that to your life, that's the start of your story. That's where you come to meet the Lord for real. That's where God takes an active part in your life. That's where your sins are lifted. That's where your path is set before you. That's where your help comes from. If we understand that the grave was a victory, but was the start of a new journey. All of that made possible by what he went through. All of that made feasible by what he went through. How often, I wonder, do we reflect on this? How often do we think on this? How often do we understand this? How often do we walk like this? Do we do as the disciples said, okay, you say, I'll follow? Or do we question and quiz and ask and wonder and it's not really lined up with with what I'm thinking? How often do we come before him even? Do we pray for everything we do? I certainly don't. That would be impossible. I'd spend more time praying than I did anything else. But do we bring our troubles before him? You know, all the way through, all the way through the Bible, it talks about prayer. You could, you could write message after message on prayer and how important it is. But how often do we actually use it? Do we bring it before him? Do we come before the Lord with reverence with fear? I wonder if we go into the week ahead, ahead, uh, uh, um, in front of us here, I wonder if we can just allow Christ to change a little bit of what we do. I wonder if we can allow him to speak to us, that it might actually change our way of thinking, it might actually change a reaction to a situation or something we're facing. Or are we just going to carry on and come back on Sunday and be happy on Sunday? I wonder if we'll just allow God to intervene a little bit more as we face the challenges ahead. Let's pray together. Thank you, Lord, again this morning. Thank you for what Christ went through, who he was and, and what, he, what you made him, Lord. I just pray that we would take these things forward and, and reflect on them because it's not, it's not something we should reflect on once a year, even twice a year. Help us to be mindful, Lord, that those simple acts over the Easter period, if you will, are so, so relevant to us for every minute of every day. And just be thankful for who he's done. Help us, I pray, to come before you a bit more. Give us hearts that will be open to you. And ultimately, Lord, minds that will take what you say and apply them and do them and carry these things out. It's very hard sometimes, so give us courage. It's very difficult to face different situations we're in. Give us courage to, to overcome these things. Help us to have faith that is strong enough to say, okay, Lord, it's over to you. Grant us, Lord, your will as we move forward in the week ahead and be with us. Until we meet again. Amen. We sing our final hymn again. when you're um, speaking a message, with songs line up, I don't need to say any more. Just lean on his arms. Lean on his arms and his, his mercies will prove you right. And if Andrew will ask us a prayer. The prayer is closed. Thank you for asking for this message
1: first this morning. We thank you the Father for uh, a king. And disciples were willing to recognize his authority in the simple matter of opinion of God We pray, Father, just as us to remind us so forth, the man of gentleness, and with the same discord, He said, Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart. He shall digest into his own. We thank you, Father, for that victory. The world might not have thought of it the victory when he went across the country, but we thank you that when he left that other he said to the disciples, the prince of Israel.